Welcome to the HCI Family of Podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Melanie Bell, welcome to the conversation today. Thank you so much for having me, John. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from the Houston area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about innovative ways to develop empathy and critical thinking skills as a leader. Now, I think if the pandemic taught us anything, it's that empathy is a leadership superpower. It's one that in the modern world of work, uh, leaders need to develop and cultivate And we saw examples of many leaders who rose to the occasion during the pandemic, showed great empathy and sympathy and compassion for their people, and were able to lead through difficult times. And we saw examples of people who didn't have that skill set and didn't do quite so well. Um, So that's one half of what we're going to be talking about. And then the other half is that critical thinking side. And sometimes we think empathy, you know, that's the heart and critical thinking, that's the brain. And we think those are two separate things. Uh, But I think we'll explore how these connect to each other, or at least how they can and should connect to each other uh, so that we can be effective leaders. As we get started, I wanted to share Melanie's bio with everybody. Melanie Bell is the co-founder of Strategic Peace, a company that helps B2B businesses generate outstanding revenue growth by bringing together their marketing sales and service teams around an information-driven customer experience built on the HubSpot platform. Melanie is an active angel investor and mentors the student accelerator programs at Rice University's AlSpark and the University of Houston's Red Labs. She was also the president of Marketing Interface, a company created in 2014 before Strategic Peace. However, she is not only about marketing. She founded Leaders Who Fiction while operating her marketing strategy and technology consulting firm. At Leaders Who Fiction, Bell is helping people acquire and develop leadership qualities through fiction reading and intellectual business-oriented conversation centered around a selected novel. I love all of that. Wonderful. Anything else you would like to highlight by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? No, I think that's it. Um, a lot of my background has been startups and very early stage companies, growing companies. So my clients have been C-suite um, executives and founders and Um, so a lot of my experience is just based on people who are really out there, um, ambitiously pursuing their dreams and goals. And, um, I think that it's kind of framed a lot of what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, excellent. As we get going, then let's start, uh, exploring, you know, first, I I guess the concept of empathy, why you feel it's so important. And then what are some of those innovative ways we can go about developing it? Sure. So, Um, I guess one other important thing about my background is I do have an MBA. Um, So I, my undergraduate degree was in liberal arts, but do have that formal business training as a background. And when I started at business school, we did, uh, you know, countless personality exams when we were getting going. And um, I ranked very high on the empathy scale Mm. and which 
is a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways. You definitely have to learn how to harness <laughs> harness empathy without draining yourself. Um, and so for me, it's always been throughout my management experience, um, something that I've brought to the table that other people haven't. And so it's for me always been an opportunity that I can capitalize on. And I think, I mean, you brought up the pandemic, but I think even before the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about empathy and the different in expectation, difference in expectations from baby boomers to Gen X yeah. to millennials. Um, and I think that that increased expectation that there's empathy is so powerful. And when I, when I became a manager for the first time, I had no idea what I was doing. And my boss told me to go read personality books and it was all about figuring out your people. And so I think to me, those are just, it's all very connected <laughs> and connected together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the the generational divide, it's an interesting one that you point out. It's it's one of the reasons why I think millennials and Gen Z often get a bit of a bad rap of being entitled and and whatnot that they it's really an expectations game, you know? It's really a difference in expectations that younger workers have around what they think is appropriate and acceptable and what they really want and demand from organizations and from leaders. Uh, and I'm a university professor. And so, you know, I teach my students about how to be effective leaders and effective um, people managers and and developing those skills. And we talk so much about these things. And so it's, in my mind, it's like obvious, like no wonder students are leaving university, going into the workforce and having high expectations because they know what good leadership should be. Uh, and they know that there are lots of bad examples and they they have higher expectations. And so we can bemoan it and, you know, gen uh, or excuse me, uh, baby boomers or gen X um, workers can say, oh, these kind of spoiled, entitled uh, younger workers, you can, you can do that. You can bemoan that all you want. But the fact is they have different expectations for the workplace. And yeah. if you want to attract and retain good people, you're going to have to figure it out. That set aside for a moment, of course, I also believe, and I think the research shows that having empathy as a leader is powerful. It is going to help you be more effective. And so there's clearly a business case for it. There's a human case for it. And there's simply an expectation amongst younger people that uh, this is something that you need to develop. And frankly, many leaders don't have it. Um, and in part, you know, I don't blame them because they, they, were educated and gained experience in a different time, uh, in a different context where different things were prioritized. And so I understand the rub. I understand the, the friction. Uh, but we also, if you want to be successful in the, in the future of work, you got to learn how to develop this, this, uh, this empathy skill. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I was really lucky as I was starting my career. I mean, like I'm technically a millennial and everybody loves to hate on millennials so much. Um, and, and I've had former bosses who really chastised millennials. <laughs> and um, I was very lucky, though, because my dad would always point out, he's like, you know what? Gen Xers are saying the same thing about millennials that we used to say about Gen X and that yeah. the greatest generation would say about us when we started working. And so I think I've always had this perspective of, you know, these expectations, they're not positive or negative. They're just, they're just a change in expectations. It's just a new, you know, can we approach this new neutral neutrally? Is that an adverb that we can use? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's just, but it is like you said, at the end of the day, it is just the expectation that people have now in the workplace. 
Yeah, yeah. So what are some of those ways we can go about developing empathy? And how does this connect back to some of your work, you know, with leaders who fiction? Yeah. So I think it's really, if we're purposeful and intentional about like, I want to go develop empathy skills, a lot of it is just practicing interacting with people. So there are a few ways that I see that people can go about doing that. Well, one of which is, you know, well, are we networking? Are we volunteering? Are we getting out into the community? Are we part of communities? I think that just that practicing the human interaction is going to be a really powerful mm-hmm. way that we can develop empathy. But to me, the way that this connects into leaders who fiction is that reading really increases our empathy. I mean, we're just by picking up a book, you're interacting with so many different characters with different motivations, with different points of view. And from a neuroscience perspective, when we're reading, our brains actually shift into simulation mode. Mm. And so it's not just like this fluffy exercise of like, oh yeah, pick up a book and you're getting to know the characters. Like your brain is actually doing the work of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And to me, I mean, that is like the most powerful thing that you you can do is, you know, we say walk around in somebody else's shoes, but novels really give us this portal to be able to do that. Yeah. And it really is different. The neuroscience behind reading and I, I like how you term it, the, the simulation that's going on in our brains. Yeah. It's different than other forms of media. It's just different than when you're listening to something or when you're watching a movie or whatever. You can still have some of those elements um, and you totally. can get engrossed in a movie. I love movies, but there's something different. And I think everyone who loves to read knows this. Like there's just something different about getting engrossed in a book and you yeah. really do get sucked in and you, you, really do put on, you know, you're, you're not just wearing the shoes of the, the characters. You're like in a really good book, you're fully like wearing their bodysuit. You're like, <laughs> you, you become that person. Right. And, Absolutely. and that's a wonderful way. I mean, that's what empathy is all about. It's, it's, it's about really understanding where other people are coming from and feeling what they're feeling. Um, now you said earlier, you know, that it's a blessing and a curse. It, mm-hmm. it is, it's such a necessary skill set to have, but empathy can also lead to burnout because there's so much, there are so many challenging things that we face in the workplace. And when we have a team of people that all have their own unique challenges, you know, having empathy is wonderful. Uh, You can meet people where they're at, you can be more supportive of them, but you have to be protective of yourself and you you can't allow yourself to carry the full weight of everyone around you. You'll burn out and you just won't be able to to move forward. So any thoughts on how we can balance that? Yeah. I mean, I think that you're hitting the nail on the head of just being able to protect ourselves. To me, that's all about boundary setting. Some of it is, it's not even necessarily an external boundary of, I mean, I think external boundaries are a really good, healthy thing to have, but I think just being conscientious of and knowing yourself. So I know like I'll, I feed off the emotions of people around me. So when other people around me are having a bad day, I really internalize that. Um, And it just drains me of energy. And so I think, but knowing that I can, I can kind of mentally fight that to a certain extent. I mean, it's never going to be perfect. I'm never going to be a robotic person, which would be amazing um, in some other ways. But um, I think just having those expectations for myself and having boundaries internally that I've set for myself of like, managing other people's energy is really, is really critical. Yeah. Yeah. So 
be aware of this practice self-care, um, yeah. you know, have appropriate boundaries and all of that, you know, and, and balance between empathy, sympathy, and compassion. You know, these are all interrelated, but separate concepts and ideas and, and different ways of practicing. So, you know, sometimes you need to take a step back from empathy and just, you know, seek to have some understanding and some compassion for people, but not you know, you need to know your limits and not bearing the weight of what they're bearing. Um, so some of those types of things I think are really important. And again, coming back to this, uh, this uh, reading approach as an innovative way to develop empathy. I absolutely love it. I think, um, you know, the, the, the most intelligent people out there, I think are voracious readers. Um, not only are they gaining new knowledge through reading um, a variety of different types of books and genres, um, but but you just you experience the world in ways that I, th I think it's really almost impossible for individuals to do otherwise, because I, I don't care if you're like an independently wealthy billionaire who can fly around the world and go to different places all the time, you're still probably not interacting with and experiencing the depth of what you can experience with a good book right uh, yeah. and so so i think that's uh, tremendous let's pivot now and talk a little bit more about critical thinking skills um and i frame this up at the beginning you know as sometimes we have this dichotomy of we have like the heart versus the brain we have empathy versus critical thinking and sometimes people think well you know if you're if you're you know a soft and fuzzy leader you know one who has empathy you're not going to make the hard decisions you're not going to have the critical thinking capacity to do what needs to be done blah 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 right um Tell us what you think about that. Like, it, is that accurate? Is that a myth? Like, how can we navigate this tension? I mean, I think that it's a myth just based on my personal experience. I think I've met people. I'm not going to say it's that common because I do think people will tend to err on one side or the other, but I've definitely known leaders who have both of those skills are capable of it so from that perspective the hypothesis that you can't have both is is debunked um and i'll go back to the, someone technical taught me that you can never prove a hypothesis you can only disprove it which yeah. really blew my mind <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when i learned that um so i have data points of that not being true um i think both are skills that we can cultivate i think that we do tend to get lazy with our thinking and so we end up putting people into buckets and so it's like the same way that we would get lazy and say oh someone is either good at you know English and history and those are the math and science I mean from when we're kids we're kind of put into those buckets and the yeah. English and history kids are going to be the empathetic ones and math and science ones are going to be the more analytical thinkers and have critical thinking skills and so I think that we're just brought up because we're all I mean, everyone is a bit lazy. And so we want to mentally categorize and make sense of the world. But there are definitely times when I think people have both and maybe maybe one's more dominant than the other or and they're, you know, will lean, rely on one preferentially. But um, I do think it's a bit of a myth that you can't. Yeah, I, it's a false dichotomy, right? I, I think, yeah. are, are there people who are super empathetic and kind of don't have the other side? Sure. Are there critical yeah. thinkers and like 
really kind of action oriented individuals who you're like, oh, they don't have a lot of emotional intelligence. They don't have a lot of empathy. Sure. Like those, those, those (laughs) those people exist and there are extremes, um, but it doesn't need to be that way. And I think there are a lot of people that are in the middle with a mix between these two and there's, there's value in both. And so I think getting past this Mm -hmm. false dichotomy is important. Um, Getting past kind of the old school leadership mentality of like, command control, be strong, be firm, um, you know, that kind of leadership that maybe served, you know, people well generations ago, but I don't think it works in the modern world of work. Uh, and, yeah. and certainly at, at a minimum, it doesn't meet the expectations of people in organizations. And so, so that's, it just becomes very problematic. If that's kind of your sole approach, people expect more empathy. And so if you're a, a really just lean towards the analytical critical thinking side, that's not bad. Like, that's great. But look how mm-hmm. you look into like what you can do to develop more compassion, empathy, and that, that emotional intelligence component and yeah. vice versa. If, if you lean a lot on like your interpersonal and emotional kind of side, not bad, but make sure that you're coupling that with data informed decision-making uh, and, and critical thinking processes to make sure that you're, you're not allowing, you know, your emotions to bias you uh, in any yeah. particular way. Yeah. I think the other piece of this or another piece of this to me is, is gender in the workflow in the workplace. Mm. So I think traditionally women have been seen as more empathetic, whereas men have been thought to have more of these critical thinking skills. And I think that as we have more women becoming leaders, I mean, I think that there is an increase in empathy. I think women in the workplace, there is an increase in empathy away from this very traditional masculine leadership approach, which doesn't work in new business models. And so I mean, I think that there are men who are extremely empathetic and women who are extremely great at critical thinking skills. So again, I don't mean to put people into boxes, but I think, again, there are these just stereotypes that exist and they've existed since we were kids. And I do think there's a yeah. gender relationship that that exists there still. Yeah. And in, in the mingling of the workforce and the 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 labor force participation participation rate of women and women uh, emerging into more leadership and executive roles over the recent decades, you know, all of this has contributed to breaking down those stereotypes. So I do think, I do think they're not as strong. They don't have as strong of a hold um, on people as they once did, but they still persist. And, and just like, I feel bad for any woman who gets labeled as, oh, she's just a compassionate, empathetic person with no critical thinking skills. That's offensive, right? Um, Mm -hmm. It's equally as offensive to me as a man. Like, I don't want people to say, oh, he's an analytical thinker. He's critical thinker, but he doesn't have empathy. I'm like, I, I think I'm a pretty empathetic person. So, I mean, these, right. these are, these are false stereotypes that don't um, need to apply. Like, and, and if we, you, you've, you've mentioned several times, like as humans, we're a bit lazy. It, it's, it's how our brains work. Like psychologically, we totally. lump people into buckets. We put people yeah. and categorize people because it makes for quicker decision-making. And we just have to recognize that that's what we do uh, as yeah. human animals. And we do have the power though, to disrupt that. We can recognize that that's happening for us and make a decision that we're going to step back and actually understand things with more nuance instead of just categorizing people and throwing people into buckets and recognizing that absolutely you know, there are male leaders that are incredibly empathetic and analytical. Yeah. There are women who are incredibly analytical and amazing critical thinkers 
and empathetic. And it doesn't, it's not a gender thing. Like it doesn't need right. to be a gender thing at all. It's just a matter of like, how do you show up in the workplace? How do you show up in relationships? How do you show up with the people around you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Any other thoughts then on the critical thinking side around the, uh, the reading fiction and leadership uh, component? We've already talked about it in relation to empathy, and I suspect it'll be largely the same for critical thinking, but thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think um, there are a couple of different ways that we read. And as you were reading, especially this is one of the reasons why I like the, I mean, for lack of a better word, kind of a book club format where you are talking to people because you are reading with a purpose. And so I think that there's still the opportunity there to develop critical thinking skills where you are approaching the text in a more analytical way. And I don't necessarily mean like analytical in the way that we all had right. high school English, <laughs> right. um, which I was miserable at um, and hated. And um, but just in terms of, I think, you know, who has power and what scene, um, what are the stakes that all of these people have if if they fail at their mission or that kind of stuff. And so I do think that there are ways to keep developing that um, again with with intention um, and I think conscientiousness and how we approach what we're doing. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. All right, well, last question uh, before we start to wrap things up for today. What do you think people can do to become better leaders while not sacrificing what they love to do? So I think a lot of times people get promoted into leadership roles because they were great at their previous job. You know, they're a great marketer, they're a great coder, they're a great XYZ, whatever, because they were really good at that. Now they've been promoted to lead a team of those people. Uh, mm -hmm. And throughout your career, you might get promoted multiple times, you rise the rungs of the corporate ladder, or you leave the organization, start your own business, etc. Um, people find themselves moving into leadership roles. And leadership is, it's a fundamentally different thing than being a functional expert in whatever you do. And oftentimes, those are the things that people love to do, because they're good at them, they find meaning in them, they they like doing, you know, what they're good at, and creating and innovating, etc. Um, thoughts on how we can balance this move into leadership while in, in the necessary transition that that requires of our roles and how we interact with people um, while, you know, not sacrificing what we love to do, what we're really good at. Yeah, I think, um, and this is speaking from personal experience where I, the, the first time I became a manager did not, like, it was a rough transition. Mm -hmm. It was like, I've heard from a lot of people, they're like, oh, that's normal. And I'm like, it didn't feel normal at the time. It, you know, it felt very isolating, um, very challenging. I, I was at a small company, so it's not like, you know, okay, now we're going to have some management training program or that right. kind of thing. It's all very informal. Um, and so I think it's having communities outside of the workplace, um, having friends outside of the workplace that that time, that energy, those activities are sacred. So whether that's pickleball, whether that's a running group, whether that's a book club, whether that's you get together and knit with other people. Um, I think just having those relationships are really important. I was at a conference on Friday and someone was talking about how they approach their career with a portfolio mentality. Mm -hmm. So they said, you know, when we invest, we invest into a portfolio of, of companies 
And so I'm never just working at one company. Like I'm always, I've got side side projects or other things that I'm collaborating on. And that's what lights that person up for these other projects. Um, and so I think just making sure that we all want to be dedicated to our work and do a great job. And we'll say we all do and make that assumption. I think we all do. Um, but making sure that we've got stuff that's going on outside of work and that time is protected. I think that's that's really big is to have that time protection because otherwise it's so easy of like all of a sudden it just gets eaten away and not necessarily with work. It can get eaten away with the social stuff, the social aspects of of work and working at a company as well. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well said. Well, Melanie, this has just been a real pleasure. I note the time and I need to let you go here in just a minute before we wrap things up. I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Sure. So um, best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. So it's Melanie A. Bell in the URL um, that way. Um, Leaders Who Fiction is on LinkedIn. You can also check out Leaders Who Fiction at leaderswhofiction.com. Um, and yeah, that's those are the best places to connect. Wonderful. Thank you, Melanie. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Melanie can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a good week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and please join us again soon.